Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Hey, Tyler, what's up this week? I bought a house. No, you did not. I bought a house. What? Yeah. Why? What? Yeah, what? I know. Um, COVID has changed everything, man. Uh, at the beginning of all this, you might have listed me as one of the least likely people to ever own a house, but we're not staying. Like a while back, we moved out of our apartment to move in with my parents because, like, we're just the halls are crammed and elevators crammed full of people not wearing masks and stuff. And unrelated to COVID, we got a dog and uh, taking the, it, it takes like a good five minutes to get out of our building because we're like, you have our building takes up a whole, our apartment building takes up a whole square block. You have to walk down one block and, and down another to get to our apartment from the elevator. And our dog walks as slow as any dog alive. So anyway, just like lots of stuff added up to, uh, we started, uh, you know, after living in my parents' basement for long enough, we decided to look at some houses and we found one that we really liked. So we're moving. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, this is not good for me because Sable really wants to buy a house and I'm whole, I'm still the guy saying, I just kind of like being flexible, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know about what the market's like in St. Louis, but it's crazy here in Utah. It is amazing in St. Louis. It's like, I know so many people in other cities, like Utah's I'm sure bad. I lived in San Francisco for a long time, which is kind of the worst there is. I think St. Louis is the polar opposite. Like we got the first offer. We, the, the first house we gave an offer on, we got, there really wasn't that much competition. It's so far, I mean, knock on wood, things could get harder, but it's been a pretty smooth process. And I don't know. And like the price is very, very reasonable. Like, I don't know. I've, we're going to be paying slightly more than we pay in rent right now, but barely for our like mortgage taxes and insurance combined. And um, that's for a, you know, we're getting a four bedroom house with like a nice lawn and a garage, a two and a half car garage. And yeah. And it's like in the city, it's a block from like a major commercial strip with lots of restaurants and stuff. So I, I feel good. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. You'll have to send me pictures. Uh, at some point I, yeah, I, I get excited we'll about stuff like this. I'd love to, I'd love to see it. It's funny. Like Robert, who, you know, he's someone I work with. He's kind of been looking at how for houses in the same neighborhood. And he sent, he like reached out to us as we were looking at it. Like, so there's this house there. Like he was going to send it to us and we were touring it when he did that. So <laughs> it's a sign that was, yeah. that means you made the right decision. Cruising Zillow is even if you're not thinking about buying a house is uh, an addictive hobby. It's addictive and in Utah, it's depressing. So what's, is, is Utah the type of place where you have to like go in all cash buyer, give an offer immediately, like all that craziness? You don't, you don't have a chance to even see the place. It's a blind offer. Oh. Yeah. It's, and, and it usually it's a bidding war, um, for the, for a house that has no problems, it's a bidding war before you even have time to go see the house. Wow. I can't imagine. Like, I thought that our process, I'm kind of looking like this is, you know, orders of magnitude more expensive than anything I've ever bought before. And we made the decision in half a day. I can't imagine not even being able to see the place. Wow. There's there's no way that I would. I mean, I already don't want to buy a house. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? So when you, there's no way I'm buying a house. I cannot sign off on buying a house without seeing it. You just got to move to a city that doesn't have that craziness. Yeah. Well, in Utah, there's really no place that's near the city that mm-hmm. doesn't have that problem unless you're living. I mean, th- we'd have to sacrifice some amenities that we find very important in lifestyle to to do that. And I don't think that's a good idea. I'd rather rent and have a great lifestyle than own and live in a place that we don't like. I agree. But have you considered the option of living in a city that nobody else wants to live in? Because that's really the key to making St. Louis such a great place to buy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's what we mean when we say lifestyle, right? But, mm-hmm. so, but you, you're kind of in a lucky place where you're in, you're part of the revival of a city that's um, reinventing itself. And I think that that's an interesting thing. Um, your, your family's there, which is really nice. Uh, there's a great school there, which is really nice for Shelly and her career. I mean, we we can't move anywhere else. Like this is where family, mm. this is where Sable's family is. There's one t- there is one place that I like that I don't know if you remember this. It's 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 further west away or east away from Salt Lake City, off eight you know I eighty, past Park City maybe twenty minutes. It's a town called Colville. And it's basically an old farming town, but I think that would be a really cool place to live. <laughs> that is not, uh, we don't share that. Sable and I don't share that. So, you know, it's, it's about compromise. That, you, that's an you opinionated and, choice. Yeah. You and Shelly are well aligned. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one nice thing St. Louis has is it was much, much bigger of a city a hundred years ago, whereas Salt Lake's never been bigger than like, it's, it's just grown and grown and grown. So there's, there's not the capacity Whereas in St. Louis, like there are so many empty buildings or rundown buildings that just need to get rehabbed. And, and that's how I see Colville too. It's a small town that historically was a farming town and people aren't moving there. And, mm-hmm. and so now it's got a lot of, you know, aging population that eventually it's going to need to be reinvigorated by something. And it's close enough to Salt Lake city that it's re- a reasonable like airport access. It's close enough to park city for the skiing. It's got its own access to a reservoir uh, for boating and stuff. So it has potential. (laughs) Keep working uh, on Sable. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, I I don't think that we are going to, I don't think we're the right family to be the first movers uh, in that opportunity. So, oh well. Cool. Um, And then aside from housing, my other kind of minor update is I've, I've been talking a little bit about how I invested some money in earnest capital. Um, And one of the reason is like, why do you, you ever invest in anything to make money? But another one is they kind of have a rule for mentorship and getting involved in their community, which is mentors have to have skin in the game. So basically, as soon as you invest, now opportunities open up to me uh, for kind of mentorship type stuff. So I just this week have kind of been getting invited into their various the things that mentor like I just 10 minutes ago signed up for their Slack and stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to getting into that. And when you say mentorship, is that you giving mentorship to the portfolio companies? Okay, cool. Right. Which, you know, I probably am more eager about that than I should be because like the whole point is giving and not getting. But I don't know. I think it'll be fun if nothing else. And I actually think I get a lot out of um, helping newer founders. Like there's all kinds of intangible stuff. But one tangible thing is 
there's a certain like hunger and scrappiness that someone who's gone through the early days has that I used to have because you had to. And it's really easy to get fat and lazy once things get comfortable. And this is one way I keep myself honest is if you just talk to enough hungry people, it'll keep you hungry, I think. Totally. And the best way to cement uh, and clarify some of the really important things in your business is to teach and clarify that for other people. So I think it's sort of like it's it's basically another version of this podcast where you're going to come across similar problems that are uh, going to clarify your thinking around uh, a higher level challenge in your in your business and in theirs. And that's that's always good, especially in your yeah. role as CEO. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm excited about that. Um, that's pretty much. I think that's all my updates for today. What's going on with you? Well, um, summer internships ended Tuesday, and we had a get uh, that virtual get together I talked about in previous episodes. It went really, really well. We only had one intern who uh, couldn't make it due to some unforeseen circumstances. It ended up taking about an hour, uh, but everyone was engaged and. It was really, it was really, I, I didn't expect to feel how proud I was of everyone being on the call and just seeming to have gotten value out of like a pelt and then to see each other and realize, oh, wow, I wasn't the only one. It was, it was really valuable. Uh, it meant a lot to me to have everyone on the same meeting, online meeting, talking about like health and mm-hmm. how it, you know, it impacted them. I am so regretful that I did not t- uh, have everyone smile and take a picture together. Mm. I didn't even, th- you know, I thought about it and I was like, I don't know, is that a good idea? You know, and then it's over and you forget. And so that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. I slept for on it for 24 hours and then I slept on it for another 24 hours. And today I'm, I'm at the point where I'm going to email them all and say, please, please, please. It, mean, it would mean so much if we could just get another zoom meeting and take a picture. It's a good idea. Now that you mentioned that we just had our uh, fellowship, uh, coding fellowship final presentation, which is kind of the same type of idea. And now you're going to make me regret not getting a picture of that or a screenshot too. Totally. And uh, yeah. it's, it's one of those things that this is the first group of people who've worked collectively on leg up health. And I don't yeah. want to forget that. Yeah, that's a good point. This uh, absolutely documenting the journey is something I really, I did a little bit of it. I really regret not doing more of because it doesn't feel like history when you're in the moment, but you're going to look back on every last little scrap, every piece of swag you get made, every photo you take, every screenshot, and you're going to look at it 10 years from now and be like, oh, yeah, that was those were the days. These are all my biggest regrets from people keep too. So I don't want to repeat the mistakes with Leg of Health. And I thought that maybe if I waited a few days, I would regret it less. But no, I regret it more every day. So yeah. I'm going to beg and um, hopefully everyone <laughs> will be okay with it. Well, it's cool that the event went well, though. I mean, that it sounds like a really great way to recap the summer and uh, have them leaving feeling good about it. Yep. The other thing I did this week was I met with every intern and got feedback on what went well and what didn't. And it was, I didn't really get a ton of surprising things. Uh, most of it came down to the people that had a clear deliverable on their project and had a small enough project where they could actually get a first version done. Mm-hmm. liked that more than a big project where it iterated a lot and they, they learned a lot, but didn't have something to show for it at the end, which yeah. makes total sense. But uh, there are a couple of things that I can tweak going forward that I think uh, will do a lot better. The other big piece of feedback for anyone listening that may run an internship program is if you have multiple interns, uh, even if they are working on different projects, I think it's important to bring them 
together regularly so that they can collaborate, share ideas, and potentially, and most importantly, develop a relationship with each other. I totally missed this. It was so interesting on the call. There was a connection between Lena, who is at Yale, and her sister, who is at Duke, and one of the Duke people who knew actually knew each other the whole time. And so it was one of those those misses that uh, could have been more valuable if I had, had gotten people together. Something I always forget. I mean, if you're a founder, oftentimes working alone is what you have to do. And you take for granted how important it is for your for the people around you to you know, spend time with you, yes, but also cross-pollinate. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Because, yeah, you always know everything that's going on and other people don't. <laughs> One of the comments was, wow, I had no idea there were so many different things you could work on in a business. Hmm. Because every intern had a project that was completely different. We had someone working on design. We had someone working on a web tool. By the way, the web tool is pretty cool. You'd be impressed with this. Nice. He he uh, he uh, he built a, a a tool. This is the first time he's ever built a CRUD app, and he built a web web app that basically takes in an input of age, gender, and income, and outputs a uh, estimate of expected healthcare costs. Hmm. Neat. And he built the whole thing, and and that was pretty exciting for him. Yeah, that's very cool. So. So anyway, that's probably enough on interns, unless you well, want to talk about I, it more. Yeah, I've got a couple more questions. Do you think you're hiring interns next summer? Next summer, definitely. I need to sleep on it this week for the fall. I'm probably not going to do it for the fall. I'm 99% sure. I think I've told you that in the past, yeah, but definitely repeating in the that. summer. Summer's a good time for us at Leg Up Health. Uh, Q4 and Q1 are busy times. Q2, Q3 are going to be our slower times. So it's a perfect time to sort of invest in people and, uh, and take some risks. So, yeah. Uh, whereas in Q4 and Q1, we need to be hyper-focused. Cool. So at some point we should talk about recruiting, unless you're just going to do what you did this year again. And, um, they kind of fell in your lap, right? Yeah. So at some, yeah, next summer, maybe, maybe around April, we should start talking. When do you start recruiting by the way? In a normal year, we would start right now, right now for next summer. Yeah. The good, the best, uh, if you're looking at business majors or engineering majors, they all get their internships in the fall because they're more career oriented. If you're looking at more like liberal artsy types of people, a lot of them don't have it locked down until late spring. But the longer you wait, you can still get very, very good people, but they're not going to be the like career minded kind of ambitious people. Yeah, man, I'm not going to be able to focus on this until next year. So I think I just got to move on from it. And if it works out next summer, it'll work out. If it doesn't, then I'll learn that I needed to to go sooner. Yeah, well, we're doing that too. Because um, th- this year's so weird. Like, is it going to be in person next summer? I have no idea. So we've decided to wait until January at the earliest. I still don't think we'll know, but we'll have a little more of an idea. So I think this year's different. But just like if you're thinking future years ahead, Recruiting in the fall is worth it if you have the bandwidth too. So maybe we can pick this conversation up in the new year. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. The other the other thing, this is a total mind warp, but uh, I'm having trouble keeping track of clients and leads hmm. and referral sources, and I need a CRM. In fact, Lena actually brought this up 
this week and said, how are we going to track all this? I've got, a, <laughs> I've got, a, I've got a list of 15,000 or 11,000 real estate agents. What, how are we going to keep, you know, is Excel what we're going to use? Sounds like an opportunity for a SaaS company to solve your problem. <laughs> yeah. So I guess what I wanted to just pick your brain on is we use Help Scout and it's really important to me that, that, that whatever CRM we pick integrates with that. Maybe I shouldn't carry that. Um, also, Lena wants to use an outreach tool um, that helps, you know, helps uh, do some more thoughtful outreach and automation. So if she reaches out to someone embedding a poll or for research purposes or uh, doing things like knowing whether someone opens or clicks uh, to follow up with a phone call, those are the things that we're looking at. We, and we want the outreach tool and Help Scout, which is our customer service tool, to integrate with whatever CRM we pick. Mm-hmm. Those are really our only requirements. Um, the other thing, I guess, is that we do need to have custom fields to track some of the health insurance um, specific information that we want to collect. It looks like the tools that Help Scout inter- integrates with and the tools that this the outreach tool that um, Lena likes integrates with are they integrate with uh, Salesforce, Pipedrive. Those are the two main ones, I think. Do you have any thoughts on those two? What's the outreach tool? Oh, gosh. Because the reason I ask is the first thought I'd say is a lot of people can get away with using their email marketing tool as the CRM. So, for example, MailChimp, you could just put your contacts in there. And like, it's not great, but if, if all you need is something really basic, you might not even need a standalone CRM. I'm looking up what the tool is. It is called... Excuse me. I don't know what it's called. Okay, well, we can we can talk later, but that's one thing I would consider is if that inter- integrates directly with Help Scout, do you even need a CRM? Between Pipedrive and Salesforce, like Pipedrive's killing it. They've, as far as I can tell, got a great product. It's not, you know, we're, I can, I think of them as our main com- competitor, uh, but the reality is they're going much more after businesses like you. I would guess you're going to love it. Our customers regularly have complaints about it, but I think you're, you would really like Pipedrive. I would take a look at that. Is there any reason we should look at less annoying CRM as a tool given where we're going? Or do you think that it's too, it's, it's too lightweight? Um, I, I'd probably default to no, just because I know your one of your goals here is to scale and everything. Having said that, Pipedrive probably won't scale either. I mean, it, it can more than we can, but like maybe one day you'll end up in Salesforce no matter what. So like an argument could be made, start out with that. Um, I think less knowing CRM, the, the selling points are one, do you need simplicity? And the answer is no for you. You can understand sophisticated software. The other one is like, I think we're much more of a general purpose productivity tool, whereas Pipedrive is a sales tool. Pipedrive is like all about enter the deal amount, move people from one status to the next, get your sale done. Whereas Less Knowing Serum is more like, here's a database, put your stuff in there and do do whatever you need with it. So maybe if you need more management of not just sales, maybe, but probably not. Yeah. The big thing for us is for me, as I know how difficult it can be when you have a tool that doesn't share data with another tool and how mm. hard that can be from a management perspective of, of avoiding 
double emailing someone or bad service. So my biggest concern is integration. Do you think that's wrong or do you think like, like if I send an email through help scout, for example, does that, would that sync with less annoying CRM? Yeah, you could have the email show and I'm pretty sure help scout can BCC. Uh, that's how every CRM has a feature where when you send an email, you can BCC the CRM and it'll get logged there. So I think that would work with any CRM, but it doesn't necessarily go the other direction and stuff like that. Mm. One thing I would do is if integration is important, definitely test it because we have a lot of people sign up for us and they're like, these other CRMs say they have all these integrations and they just don't work or they're only a one-way push. They say it's a sync, but it's not actually a back and forth sync, something like that. I would guess, I mean, Pipedrive's a massively successful company. They have to have this figured out, but I would just verify that. Okay, that's helpful. I want to hold out and not do a CRM, but now that I'm, especially because I'm collaborating with Lena, it's like Excel won't work. We'll, We'll talk over each other. Because there's well, no history. a Google a Google sheet could. Oh, I see what you're saying. How many how many like leads are we talking about here? Eleven thousand. How many are you actually go, like? How fast are you going to go through eleven thousand? Sixty days. Oh, okay. That's a lot. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You're emailing eleven thousand over. You're not calling eleven thousand. I don't know how how we're going to do it. I mean, it would not surprise me if Lena called all 11,000, okay? So <laughs> yeah, that, that would not surprise me. Because that's one thing to think about with CRMs is how high volume it's going to be. So if it's, you know, oh, we've got these, tw- you know, if you're doing like real enterprise sales, we've got these 20 targets, we're going to spend the next six months really going after them. Very, very different answer to what CRM should you use versus 11,000. With 11,000, you really need automation. That's exactly, so, that's why integration matters. You, you just yeah. nailed it. But even more, it's not just that you need the the data to sync. The CRM itself needs to be built on automation. Like again, I wonder, do you even need a CRM? Because PipeDrive's not going to send your emails for you. Um, it's it's more for manual sales, as is less annoying CRM. Totally. Uh, one thing I I do like about Salesforce is that there is so much customization with records and there's so mm-hmm. much automation within Salesforce that you can almost make Salesforce your your customer database and your application database. Right. And that that's the one area where I'm like, whoa, if I had Salesforce as my customer database, there's a potential that I could sync the leg up health um, platform database with that as well and have it be self-served by the client, but anything that an internal person updates in Salesforce also updates the client's portal. And that's really attractive to me. But the problem I'm solving right now really is just keep track of the people reaching out to, uh, make sure we, we have a place to take all the shared notes. And um, you know, with all the emails and automations that we're going to be doing, um, making sure that those are getting synced to the same record. Yeah, I would assume that you're going to replace whatever you come up with in the future. Even if you go with pipe drive and you replace it with pipe drive it's the the workflow is not going to work the way you set it up right now my approach would be start with is something like mailchimp enough and if not probably pipe drive okay that's that's exactly how i was thinking about it coming into this so that gives me confidence uh in making a decision this week thank you cool. yeah and I, i'd love to hear how it goes because the reality is i don't know a ton about our competition because we hear a lot of complaints about it, but I don't normally hear the success stories. 
So uh, I'd love to hear more about assuming you have a success story with a competitor of ours. Yeah. And I can talk to Salesforce all day I, uh, for a later stage company, but for leg up health, it's like, I don't really want to be spending $135 per agent per month on a Salesforce I think account. It's, I think it's the setup costs more than that. It, Their setup fees? Not, this, not, sorry, the time. Like it would be it would be several months before it's up and running the way you want it. Whereas with PipeDrive, you can just go sign up and it'll be working in a day. Yep, totally. Configuration costs are so much lower. Yeah. Um, yeah, so cool. I'll keep you up to date with that. The only other update I have is related to the positioning framework that I worked through this week. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Obviously Awesome, which is a book by April Dunford that walks through a unique positioning framework uh, to come up with a way to describe who you are to a potential customer in a way that gives them a frame of reference and helps them understand why you are differentiated. So I made some progress on it this week. I actually slacked you a couple of things I was working on, and I'm still iterating the positioning statement. But just as a recap, uh, this week I worked through exploring the competitive alternatives. I found surprisingly that most uh, the most popular competitive alternative is actually to an eight to leg up health services is someone going it alone and buying their own health insurance without an agent, typically mm-hmm. through healthcare.gov or going directly to the health insurance company's website. Um, and then, then you work through your unique attributes and, uh, features. And some people say, is it attribute or attribute? I've always heard attribute. Okay. I say attribute and I have a lot of words like this where I read them instead of heard them out loud and I just assigned a pronunciation that is completely incorrect. It's probably attribute. So uh, my wife corrected me on that and you should too. So uh, then then you take your attributes and you map them to value themes. And I have a chart that basically goes, I'm happy to send this to anyone who's interested. I probably won't publish it because it is pretty strategic. um, And I think there's a lot of value in what I've produced here. But the it basically, you take a, a, a table, you have three columns, and you have feature, benefit, value. And a feature is something your product does or has. They're facts. Uh, a, a benefit is what the feature enables for the customer. So think of it as like, what is the result to the customer of the feature that you're talking about? And then value is how the benefit contributes to a goal that the customer is trying to achieve. So it's really interesting. Once I listed all the features and map them to benefits the number gets smaller. So multiple features map to one benefit, uh, multiple benefits map to one uh, value. And it becomes really, really clear what your core value propositions are. And uh, anyway, I, once you do that, you then pick a target me- uh, market segment. So who, you know, once you have the key values, who cares the most about that value that um, what, what group of people and you, you set characteristics. And I basically said, you know, a Utah resident who lives in Salt Lake, Summit County or Utah County, and who works in one of the you know several professions that typically don't have access to group health insurance, and purchases who purchases their own health insurance, and then you pick a marketing frame of reference. And anyway, I just wanted to read my positioning statement that I've come up with. I wouldn't call it a positioning statement, but here's how I'm thinking about positioning leg up health, and this is what I came up with this week based on working through the obviously awesome framework. Uh, leg up health helps Utahns confidently find, manage, and use their own personal health insurance. We're a free health insurance agency focused on service over sales, enabled by software instead of paper, and employing coaches in place of commissioned brokers. This is the most eloquent and succinct way I've been able to describe Leg Up Health, and I'm actually pretty confident in it. Uh, and uh, 
uh, you know, it took a long what took a long time to get to this, these two sentences, but I feel like this is this sums up what I've been working on for six months. Wow, that's awesome. So, what do you do with that? Good question. So, according to April, she likes to convert now that positioning into a sales story or narrative that talks about the journey that a customer might be going through right now as they work, as they go it alone. Since our primary competitive alternative is going it alone, talk about, you know, that person's going alone, talk about the pain that they, they run into while they're doing that throughout, you know, finding health insurance, you know, using it and, and managing it. And then, you know, kind of a new, you know, wave of magic wand scenario, uh, like a health arrives to save the day. So build that narrative. And then once that narrative is built convert it to some messaging that can be, uh, used in different mediums, uh, around, you know, most importantly uh, on our website and in our email outreach templates. Um, and, uh, and then it's just execution for the rest of the year. Cool. Strategy is done. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm not very good at, I'm not, a, I'm not like you, you're pretty creative and you can, you could probably take this positioning statement, the work I've done and pretty, pretty easily and without a whole lot of effort, convert it to a really nice looking web page with great messaging. I have trouble seeing how this translates into a, a homepage and about page and that sort of thing, but I'm just going to keep following her framework. It's done me pretty well so far and hope that I end with something that's pretty good. Great. You're going to write about uh, the whole process at some point? You know, you think I should? Yeah, I think so. I, I've heard a lot of people talk about April Dunford and how the book obviously awesome is great and stuff, but I, uh, I think maybe something that's been missing for me is seeing it applied. Like I read the book myself and it gave me a ton of ideas, but I also was like, is it worth doing this start to finish the way she says? It's a fair question. I'd read it. Yeah, it's a fair question. I, that's a good question. Like you didn't ask me the question, but I'm, (laughs) I'm sort of thinking about it was, was it worth me going through this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I'll know. I won't know until I get this out there in front of people and people, I start having an easier time yeah, getting clients. So I think that I probably won't write about this until, 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 you know. <laughs> until I know. And I don't know the answer to that question. One nice thing about it is there's no way it was a total waste. Like if nothing else, you got clarity around what you're doing and this and that. Does it actually help you get customers remains to be seen, but uh, I like things that even if they go wrong, there's, they're still like, they're maybe not moving you exactly in the direction you're trying to go, but they're, maybe it's a little to the left or a little to the right, but they're kind of inching you in that general direction. Yep. Yep. Do, I mean, from your observation, do you see, do you feel like I've gained more clarity on leg up health or do you think I've just gone in a big circle? Probably a little of both, honestly. Like I think you've definitely gained clarity was it worth the time it took? I don't know. Will the clarity you have now still apply a year from now? I don't know. Hmm. But um, so again, like there's no way that was not valuable. It was clearly valuable. Is there something else you could have been doing with your time? I mean, always the answer to that is yes, but I don't know. I'm optimistic. You feel that way? I'm optimistic. I, I think I once w- when I launched the new website, I think that's when I'll know for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, that's probably a week or two away still. So 
Yeah. One of my, the things I'm just generally skeptical about with marketing is it's really fun and I don't want to say easy, but like there are a lot of ways to come up with interesting marketing ideas. And the wall I always hit is, okay, I've got this thing. Now, how do I get anyone to see it? And then you're like, oh, I need to market the thing, the marketing thing I just made. Um, And you're better at this than me, so you probably won't hit this wall. But what I've always struggled with is I do this thing and then I have no way to get anyone to see it and it has no impact. So I have the opposite problem. I can get people to see stuff, but they don't get it. Mm. If only we worked together, Rick. <laughs> well, I think we had a lot of success working together at one point. It yeah. might, we might have saved a company together. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. All right. Well, I assume we'll get more updates on that in the future. Yeah. So a couple of shout outs. If you, again, if you have questions or topics you'd like us to cover, reach out to us on Twitter. Um, if it's a fit, we'll bring the context and situation to the podcast and discuss it. In fact, I think we have, uh, if we have time, we're going to cover one of those today. Before we do that, Tyler, I want to just rant for a second. I just helped a client and I feel so bad for this person. They are, they left a company you know, recently and joined a new company. The new company offers really crappy health insurance coverage. The old company offered really crappy health insurance coverage. So the Cobra option's crappy. The new coverage option's crappy. The guy and his family, when they went to the health insurance through, through leg up health, they discovered they're eligible for a $700 per month insurance premium tax credit from the government. So he can basically for his family, uh, get the same plan that be, a better plan than either of his previous, either his previous employer or current employer offers, um, for literally like one fourth the cost at two, like 200 bucks a month after the premium tax credit is applied. Guess what? There is something called the family glitch. And this is exactly this is a perfect example of why the end of employer provided health insurance needs to happen. Just because he has offered this coverage, he is disqualified for that subsidy because his employer offers group coverage. Even though it's a crappy plan. He has to pay a thousand dollars a month to participate in the group plan. If his company did not offer group health insurance, he could go buy the same better coverage for $200 after the subsidy. Uh, this country is a dumpster fire. <laughs> so it's interesting because now, and because and, so there was a couple context here. I did a LinkedIn ad last week just on, like, hey, if you want to talk to me, it was a quick test. I put a $50 max budget. I made a mistake. I didn't realize this, but apparently it was a daily budget. So it ran for eight <laughs> days and I have, I owe LinkedIn 500 bucks now. Ugh. But, uh, but anyway, he was one of the people that found like a pelt went on, like did the whole free trial process or the free sign up process, went shopping, it, it mm-hmm. worked all the way through. And when I got on a call with him, he actually brought his CEO on. And so I was like, I had scheduled a call with him, jumped on and potentially, you know, the solution in this case is for, the company to drop their health insurance. Yeah. Are they considering it? They are. Wow. Go back to selling HRAs, Rick. <laughs> well, in this case, it's interesting. I walked them through the three options that this, that a small business has. One is offer traditional group health insurance, which they're currently doing. 
I, ca- I consider that the old school way. The second is offer an HRA like people keep. The problem with an HRA, though, is it disqualifies people from premium tax credits, too. Because mm, it's still technically like health benefits. Because the interpretation of the IRS is wrong. Yeah. That's okay. So because because the government doesn't want people to have premium tax credits. So the solution is offer a taxable monthly stipend. Mm-hmm. And let people go buy their individual health insurance. And guess how Leg Up Health helps? We'll help you communicate the stipend. We'll give you a co-branded website uh, that your employees can come come visit. And we'll help each employee get their premium tax credit be, and be better off after you drop your coverage. Hmm. So anyway, the rant is, I can't believe that no one, the, the employers don't understand this. And what, what these guys were asking me the whole time was, why don't we know this? Like, is it, how long has it been around? I said, since 2014. How come no one's telling us that we're leaving money on the table in the in the marketplace? I said, well, uh, go ahead. You, you, the premium tax credit's based on income, right? Like, they have to have a lot of low-wage workers for this to apply. That's the misconception. Anyone who makes less, like a family of four who makes mm-hmm. less than $104,000 is eligible for a subsidy. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. I yeah. would guessed much lower. Yeah, exactly. And so they go, well, have, why haven't anyone told us about this? It's like, well, your group insurance broker, who's probably <laughs> been giving you a insurance agent, you know, is not, you know, they're good people. They're not bad people. They, 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 their time came and went, um, but they're, yeah, but they're not incentivized to tell you about, you know, f- how to fire them. That's great for you. I mean, yeah, the system's broken, but uh, it's nice that you can help people and, and make a little money at the same time. This is a good, you know, this is where you want to be in capitalism, right? Yeah, but at the same time, I'm looking at this and going, this is crazy. Like this this consumer is literally getting screwed by his employer offering coverage. Like the employer shouldn't have to drop coverage to get well, this consumer to get his premium tax credit. He should just be able to go get his premium tax credit. Like, yeah, why is this? I, why is this even a thing? I got to say, like one of my main concerns for your business as a startup to last company is that the craziness can't continue forever. And at some point, there's going to be no need for specifically what you're offering right now. I totally. hope. Yeah. So so there's two directions. Either we go back to employer-provided health insurance or more people will need to buy individual health insurance, in which case they need more leg up health. Well, I'm talking about like... Medicare for all or universal health care or something. Well, let's talk about Medicare for all and universal health care. Medicare for all has agents. It's one of the more complicated health insurance products to buy. Did you know you have to pay for Medicare and then it doesn't cover everything? So you have an option to buy a Medicare supplement or a private version of Medicare called Medicare Advantage. Those are distributed by agents currently. It's even currently, more complex. But I'm just, if, if you it's look even, at other countries, they don't they don't have this huge network of agents, do they? They do. They do. Oh, okay. they do. Um, I actually reached out to a, an English uh, age, health insurance agent to get some insight into how uh, how they do it in in the UK. But I, I'll, I'll report back. But yeah, there's a, there's there's pr- with unless it's single payer, which is not what Medicare for all is. So right. it, what, a lot of people get confused about what is single payer versus universal coverage. They're two distinct terms. Universal coverage is the idea that everyone should be covered and you can accomplish universal coverage in a number of different ways. You can accomplish it through private insurance. You can accomplish it through a public total public insurance, or you can accomplish it with a combination of the two. 
Um, single payer is the idea that, that you know the government just pays for healthcare and there are no private options. There's not um, like a cash register at the end of your hospital stay. You got it. You got it. And there's no ins- this concept. The the government is the insurance uh, insurer. So um, anyway, uh, it's unlikely that the that the U.S. anytime soon will will be a single payer. But it's likely that Medicare, the concept of Medicare as it exists today, will expand to more people, and the concept of premium tax credits will expand to more people. The concept of Medicaid will expand to more people. Most people don't realize this, but actually, the majority of people, employer-provided health insurance is no longer the majority where the majority of people get covered. It's it's now majority individual government or a self-insured. That sounds like a plurality, not a majority, but right. Okay. Anyway, I'm being pedantic. <laughs> the majority of people seek coverage on their own, meaning they buy an individual policy, they get TRICARE, they get uh, Medicare, they get um, Medicaid. Okay. Cool. Interesting. You learn something every day. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's a that was my rant. I'll be done. All right. <laughs> you want to uh, talk about one of these like uh, topic suggestions we got? Yeah. Do you have anything you want to cover? I have a bunch of topics we could, but I also feel like we should work through the backlog. So let's let's do one of these topics and I'll bring up my own if we finish. In time. Okay. So one of our recent followers on Twitter uh, messaged in and said, I wonder if you could do something regarding to students who want to be a founder. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how students um, can pursue entrepreneurship. Uh, maybe there's some resources that are available to students that aren't available to others or books that you might recommend. This isn't quite the, there's like what books or resources are available. I would personally take the approach here of being like stepping back from that a little bit and just being like, what are mistakes people make? How, how do you like, what's the path one can follow? Does that seem like a reasonable approach to you here? As a student, how might you approach um, innovating or building a company? Yeah. And I'm going to say one that I'm not sure if you'll agree with, but I'm pretty opinionated about this. It drives me crazy when current college students ask this question and they say, I'm not technical and I want to start a software company. How do I do it? And the answer is learn to code. Um, Similarly, if you want to start a shoe company, learn something about shoes. Like I'm not saying knowing how to code is a core skill for an entrepreneur. Knowing how to code, knowing how to, knowing something about the product you're trying to create. And most people, when they talk about startups, are talking about technology. I think that's a core thing. And like you're in college, it's free marginally marginal zero cost to take a computer science class on top of your schedule that's step number one as i'd say like get a basic understanding of how to create the product you want to create do you do you agree with that yeah so i guess it assumes that someone wants to be in software in that case or in shoes so maybe the the i agree yes the what you really say is start working on your problem that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. But how do you decide what problem? But you're not interested ju- in? not just the business though. I get like too many people are like I need to understand business, but every business is create the product and then go to market, and you you need at least those two things. Yeah, and you need to understand what what problem that the product is solving, right? Like yeah. there's there's sort of like what at the end of the day it seems like we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where. First, there's sort of, if you don't have a problem to solve, stop trying to be a founder and focus mm-hmm. on observing people's problems. And you will eventually, 
you know, see a problem that you want to solve. And therefore, and, and at that point in time, you can start thinking about being a founder. But, you know, observation and sort of asking questions and and just sort of learning <laughs> uh, about people and their problems is is like where I would start. And then once you you get to, that's where I'd take your advice is go, once you see a problem that you're interested in solving, you're going to have a probably an idea of how you might want to solve it. Um, that could be via software. It could be via some other skill or, uh, or, or process. Um, what a great place to learn. You're in school. Go learn that and apply it. Yeah. Although I do think you can preemptively learn stuff. Like a lot of people will learn skills in school and then go be an entrepreneur later. And so there's kind of a question of what do you learn? I'm interested. You've taken a lot of business classes, right? Mm-hmm. You Because you were computer science and business. Yeah, economics. Yep. Economics. My impression is that most business classes are really teaching people how to work for large corporations um, and that in- entrepreneurship is a pretty difficult thing to teach. It's more, it's not like a topic in and of itself. It's like be okay at a million different topics. Is that your experience or am I wrong about that? Yeah, I mean, I think pattern recognition is probably the greatest benefit I got from studying courses. I, I would say that I don't use, there's all these specific things you learn in school that you never use again. But probably the greatest thing I got from both computer science and economics were high level th- patterns of thinking or problem solving that I got to apply in the work world. I mean, I don't know if that answers your question. Well, I guess my question is like a, a startup founder probably needs to know something about finance. But if you take a finance class, do you get what a startup founder needs to know? Or do you get what a, a drone working at you know, Procter and Gamble needs to know about finance. I'm not, a, I just need to do a disclaimer. I'm not a good person to ask. I'm not the guy who showed up to class every day. <laughs> I was, the, I read the textbooks and I can tell you from my experience taking most classes at Duke, which is a decent school, is that most of the shit you learn is not applicable. Okay. You, like you, you, if you don't have something to apply it to that you care about, you don't keep it and you don't use it later. So you end up having to reteach yourself that stuff later when you actually need it. Um, take for example, um, I took an accounting class at Duke in the summer. I got an A or B. I don't know what I got. I got a decent grade. I had to reteach myself accounting as the CEO of people of Zane Benefits, um, and I learned accounting in two weeks. Um, not having like like reading a textbook myself and having to apply it to a real business, whereas I learned nothing about accounting in a summer with it. You know, and and school. Having now, said that, oh, sorry, good. I was just going to say now what, what, you know, probably helped me that I don't understand is I was familiar with what accounting was and that it was important. So I do, I do think there's probably a high level curriculum of, Hey, here are the thing to be a, a, a business leader. Here are the things, the general areas that you need to know, um, to be able to do that. And there's probably some finance pieces. There's, there's some leadership things. Um, there's product, um, and you know, building, uh, you know, solving problem, problem solving things. Um, there's marketing things. I guess there's probably a curriculum there that you could build. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Mostly, stuff you learn in college isn't applicable. This is true of computer science too. Like what you're taught in a computer science program is not. It's not software engineering. Those are two different things. But the question here is, you're in college, even if it's very, very like 
just slight benefit. You are going to pick classes. How sh- how might I, I get the question isn't specifically about classes, but I'm interested if you could go back like what what would you do? My thesis oh. here is you get more application out of design, programming, engineering than you do out of business when it applies to entrepreneurship. Uh, great question. Uh, that's so I actually just gave this advice to someone. Um, I re- totally regret double majoring. Okay, so there's a larger conversation here around what do you want to get out of college and do you want insurance or do you want a return on your investment? For me, I, I took an insurance approach. I took I majored in the two majors that would make me the most marketable on you know once I graduated Duke, and that was economics, computer science. So I can go business, I could go software, I could you know I was very marketable. Um, it was terrible though because in order to get to those two, I actually took a lot of intro classes and a lot of different majors, um, and by I didn't declare those two majors until the end of my sophomore year. What that means is that by the time you're not, you don't get to take any electives. And the stuff that's actually interesting that is that you're going to be interested in are the electives. It's when the classes go from 300 students, uh, you know, listening to some geezer just read a script, to um, you know, a, a class roundtable talking to someone about something that they're really passionate about, um, in, in terms of professorship. And and so my advice is pick a major. I don't care what it is. Probably something in in leadership, like something that talks about how people work, psychology. I don't, I don't know something that just gets to the core of what leadership is and how to be a good human. Declare that first thing, breeze through it, uh, the, 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 the core curriculum and get to electives and take, and then, you know, take, take, uh, whatever electives are interesting to you. Hmm. Okay. That's not what I would say, but that's an interesting take. I, I, uh, yeah. So, and then, but I, but what I would, what I would, um, so I, I'm a big fan of whatever subject, whatever subject area you think you're interested in business, declare the most appropriate major ASAP, get through the core and then take the electives that are interesting to you. Um, and then you can play around with your free time after that, um, to take interesting courses, regardless of, you know, what, what, what you need to hit your major. Um, yeah. so I, go ahead. I, I, I agree with the elective thing. Like my greatest regret is that I didn't take more design classes. Um, and this gets back to a point I said earlier about like, what is entrepreneurship and can it be taught? Entrepreneurship is not a skill. What entrepreneurship is, is you have to be the finance person, be the accounting person, be the product designer, be the programmer, be the customer service person, be the marketer. And so entrepreneurship is about being able to do a lot of things. Okay. More so than it is about being an expert on entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is not a topic. That's like saying I majored in working at a big company. That's not a major, right? What do you do at the big company is the question. And I think anyone interested in entrepreneurship, whether it's classes or books you read or anything, entrepreneurship's not a topic. You cannot study it. It's just like, go learn the actual skills you need to be an entrepreneur, you know? Yeah. And what are those skills? I guess that's the real question. Yeah. And so obviously it depends on the company. I per- You got a lot less, I think, out of your computer science degree than I did. I got a lot out of it. <laughs> Which so moving on from classes here, the next thing I I would say is side projects are the most valuable thing you can do prior to when you actually start your business. Did you do any of those side projects? Like, so like my background was I was like you, not a great student, but I built a message board for my band. I built a website for my water polo team. I built a fantasy football site with my brother, who ended up being my co-founder of this a ton of great things you get out of side projects. One is hopefully you work with other people and you build up a network of people you 
know you can work with because you don't want a co-founder you've never worked with before. So if you're going to go the co-founder route, it's a way to get that. It's a way to get experience with a blank slate. College and, and high school, every level of school teaches you, you know, here's your assignment. It's five pages long. It's supposed to be on the American Civil War, this and this and this. When you go off and build something from scratch, you hit this point where you're like, I could do anything. And that's really hard. And most people don't get experience and side projects give you that. And then you also get to dabble in all these little things. Can I get someone to use this? That's, you know, kind of marketing and sales. I, I need to build it. it. Maybe that's technical or maybe it's making t-shirts, whatever it is. I think that you cannot learn from a book or in a class what you'll get from experience. It's maybe too high stakes to start a business when you're in college for some people. But even if you're not ready for that, you can always just take on a little project and and understand it'll it'll be, you know, you won't care about it three years from now, but the experience will be really valuable. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't I side projects are great. I mean, what I'm realizing is you're so naive when you're in college. And so if you're a student and you are serious about wanting to start a company, take a gap year, go work for a startup. You will learn more in that gap year uh, about what you need to learn to do what you want to do than I could ever tell you in this podcast. And then you will know what you want to go spend your... You may not want to go back to school, number one. So I'll just yeah. give you a little warning. And two, you if you do go back to school, you'll know exactly how you want to spend your time. Um, but I do think there are like three buckets of, of, of skills that I would recommend focusing on. One is problem solving. I think at the core, that's what entrepreneurship is. It's problem solving, like identifying a problem, root causing it, and coming up with a, a solution to the problem. Um, and then from there, it's learning how to make money from solving that problem. And uh, so you have you know problem solving, continuous learning. If you don't love learning, you're probably not learn to love learning. <laughs> and then uh, I think the the thing that I regret most about college. It isn't any sort of technical skill because I, I, I do think you can, any technical skill, uh, whether it's accounting or design, I feel like you can, you can learn that today pretty much at any time that you want to. Um, it's, it's the thing, the, the thing that I wish I had learned sooner that I, you know, would have been the greatest return for me is how to deal with people. Um, and you know, that goes to like how to make people like you, uh, how to make people feel good, um, which is a subset of making people like you, uh, how to, you know, how to win friends and influence people. And I think, uh, if I could go back and f like, if you want to really focus on the things that you need to, to become an entrepreneur when you graduate or while you're there, those are probably the three things that you need to, if you can't check the box on right now, you probably should spend some time studying, uh, through side projects or through, uh, coursework if you can. It's interesting how like the differences between our answers here really come down to that like I'm a technical product founder and you're more of a business founder and so you're saying understand how to work with people and I'm saying understand how to go build a product from scratch and you know neither is right or wrong but I guess the point is I think what we both have in common is practice. So the question here was like read a book. Like what books can what books can you read and there are ones you just said uh how to win friends and influence people. That's a book that might be relevant. But I think what we're both saying is go out there, uh, spending a gap year to work at a startup or doing an internship or work at a startup the year after, work on side projects. I just don't think there's any replacement for that. And I actually, I didn't do this on purpose, but I spent less time on classes and more time. I, I did an internship every summer and I was always working on side projects. 
if I could go back, I would actually shift even more of my resources away from classes or reading or whatever, and more of my resources towards practice. Yeah. And practicing solving, helping other people solve real world world problems, not just doing stuff for with, like in, in a bubble. Well, and this is what's so hard. Uh, you're just starting your interaction with lots of college students. I've been doing it for a while. And when yeah. you talk to college entrepreneurs, every idea is, well, it's going to be this service for college students, or it's going to be this app that like college students don't need to figure out what party to go to on Friday night. It's like there there will be someone who becomes a billionaire from that in the next 10 years. But like, it is very hard on on a college campus. You don't see any real problems. Or you may be around them, but most people are not aware of them. Mm-hmm. And I do think that's one of the huge values. Go do an internship. Go get out there. Because when you go work at a 5,000-person manufacturing company as an intern, like working in the filing room, you're going to look around and be like, I didn't even realize all. Like most of the people in the world are coming into work five days a week doing this crap. There's a whole world of problems to solve there beyond what party should my friends go to this Friday. I have a question, one question before we jump off that I think would be interesting for us both to reflect on. Like, would you, when you were in college, were you thinking about being an entrepreneur? No, not at all. If you had, what would you have done differently? So I actually think what I did, I was lucky. And is it that my characteristics were entrepreneurial, which led me to these things? Or was it pure luck? I don't know. But I did two things that I think were really great. One, I was in a band. I think being in a band is the closest thing that's like a common experience for young people to running a business. You have to put your team together. You have to create your product, write your songs. You have to go get your gigs, get people to show up to the gigs. I might've invested more time in the business side of the band. I always thought of it as like, I know we're not going to be famous. I like shitty heavy metal. Nobody's going to listen to this. If I said, I'm going to go get a gig because someone else in the band always, I I did that a few times, but someone else did. I would have probably tried to be more involved in the business side and I would have taken my side projects and again, treated them more like a business. It's yeah. really embarrassing. Yes, yeah, are good. I would like to know why you didn't do that while you were there. Was it were you scared of doing that, or was it just not important to you? It's because I wasn't practicing. And the important thing about practice versus doing something is like the analogy I give. I used to play guitar. That's what I played in band. I got really pretty good at guitar pretty quickly relative to the other people, like my friends that were learning. And then I stopped getting good all of a sudden. When I reflect back, the reason I stopped getting good is I stopped practicing. It became so fun. I played two hours a day, but I was playing songs I knew I wasn't practicing. Um, the thing that I, that's, that's what I was doing with my side projects too, is I was doing what was fun because I knew they would never amount to anything. What I now understand is it's embarrassing to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to try to get people to use this tool I made. I'm, I'm really going to go for it, even knowing failure is the most likely outcome. But that's the only way to practice entrepreneurship, I think. Yep. I I, I think I agree. I, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, if I I I uh, I think I had entrepreneurial tendencies, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, I I didn't really have a direction, but I I've always in the back of my mind wanted to figure out how to make. I was always interested in how to make money. I think that was probably mm-hmm. my main driver, and it's probably a honestly, if if we're being honest with ourselves, like. Why are students interested in becoming entrepreneurs? Probably has something to do with that, right? Like, it either has to do with something with making money or being famous or being important. Yeah, um, and you know, I think I had those things. The things that contributed most to those, to me being able to do that, 
um, were probably are probably yeah. It's it's the extracurricular stuff I did, uh, like participating in student government, being a part of a fraternity that had revenue and and a, a P and L uh, to manage. Man, you know, being involved in some some of the uh, budgeting processes for student, you know, the student budget. You know, most people don't realize this, but part of your pre- your your tuition goes towards uh, funding, giving a budget to students to basically throw parties for each other. If you can get involved in that, you can learn a ton of like applic- very useful um, how to deal with people asking for money when you don't have it, which is classic like founder uh, challenges. <laughs> yep. yep. Um, uh, the the other the other thing I did was I was a part of an athletic team. And I, did you do water polo? Yeah, but it was a club team. It it was nothing serious. Yeah, that that was probably the closest thing to a band. But I was a wrestler, and I think uh, you know that that worked, that taught a lot of things in terms of teamwork. Um, it's a little less team oriented than other sports, but um, definitely uh, can see that. Oh, there's one other thing um, that I wanted to say, and it was. Uh, leadership positions. So uh, would you say that as a founder, you've, you've, your leadership skills have been required to grow? Oh, yeah. Well, because I started with none. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know how you develop those in school, but that like, I wish I had gotten more. If I, if I could go back and change one thing, I think it would have been, I always come back to like, how can I be a better leader, which comes back to how can I better deal with people? Um, and uh, that would be something. Something I think I sports study. teams, sports teams are a really great way to do this. Even if you're not the captain of the team or whatever, which I wasn't, everyone has their role to play. So like mine was, I'm the person who shows up early to practice. And when everyone else is like hung over and afraid to get in the pool because it's cold, I get in the pool. Um, that's a form of leadership, right? Yep. So I, I think sports teams are a great way to do it. Even, even casual, like intramural sports teams, I think. Someone has to be like, we're actually going to practice today because remember how that frat kicked our ass last time? Let's not have that happen again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I, from what I hear, rugby is a great sport to play. You get to drink a keg after every game and uh, it's pretty much a party. <laughs> you just have to get your butt kicked for a couple a couple hours. Um, <laughs> the uh, the There was one more thing and that was, oh gosh, books. Um, one of the, my, the, the book that probably really clarified what entrepreneurship was for me was a book called the e-myth i actually read it on my way out from utah i'm from north carolina after graduating college to utah and it really clarified to me um what entrepreneurship really was um the the book is called the e-myth for entrepreneurial myth and it talks about how most people uh the reason they want to go into business for themselves is they want freedom but but typically what ends up actually happening is you become a slave to your business because you don't build the systems necessary to make the business bigger than you. Um, I would highly recommend that book to, to a student. It's really a really big, easy read. And it, it was very valuable to me before I entered the workplace. Cool. And I'll, my twist on this, I don't think I have any books to recommend. I have a lot for specific issues, but not like how to become an entrepreneur, but, uh, I think following people on Twitter who are doing the type of thing you want to do and yes, follow and read. I get so much information, but also engage like someone posts something you're interested in. Ask a question on Twitter. Uh, you'll be surprised how many people respond and you, you can learn a lot that way. Yeah. Just be dumb and ask questions that that goes, that'll get you there eventually. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No, that's it for me. This feels like a good, uh, good place to wrap it up. Cool. Um, well, 
Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you like this episode, um, or if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuplast.com. See you next week. See you.